Shira Wanza Serrano. I'm Ariana Ruiz. I'm Rene Rocha. And this is Imagining Latinidades. Thank you so much for joining us uh, for another episode of Imagining Latinidades. Um, I am, I feel super lucky to be here again with, uh, with the three guests from our last episode, Frederick Luis uh, Aldama, uh, Adrian Burgos, and Ed Morales. Uh, today we're going to be talking, uh, you know, probably a little bit less about the relationship between popular culture and citizenship and citizenship and more about Latinx studies more broadly. Um, so let me fill you in if you're a, if you're a newer listener uh, to to this program. You know when we were doing these conferences and symposia live and in person uh, in the before times, we would end every day of our uh, of our in person programming with a roundtable discussion uh, with our speakers, and the the purpose of that roundtable roundtable discussion was less to continue Q&A about the talks that people had given and more to ask a new set of questions about how people came to uh, to the arena of Latinx studies and why that's been important to their work and why that they think that should be important to other people. And so today, rather than uh, rather than continue to the discussion uh, that we began um, when we recorded our first episode together a few days ago, uh, what we're going to do is really turn our attention to uh, to Latinx studies more broadly, how you came to it, uh, and uh, and why you think it's valuable not only for the work that you've done over the course of your careers, uh, but also for uh, for other people, uh, for students, for the institutions that you're a part of as experts, um, and for industry as well. I I, I think I really look forward to, uh, to to Ed's perspective on this as um, as a journalist. So. Um, you know, I'm gonna I'm going to to skip the intro the, the full introductions uh, because we just did those uh, and you really should go back and listen to the last episode uh, if you haven't already these these two episodes really do go together um, and I want to just jump into our, our our questions because you know because this this time is just gonna fly by uh, the question that I begin with and this is the question we begin we've begun every roundtable that we've hosted uh, with folks uh, with, is how did you get your start doing Latina, Latina, Latinx studies, right? What's your origin story? How did you kind of come into this, uh, this arena of inquiry and engagement and activism? Um, and whoever would like to start, you know, just remind us who you are when you do start and, uh, and, and, and we can get going. Adrian Burgos from the University of Illinois. And, you know, one of the interesting things, I went to a very small liberal arts college as an undergraduate, Vassar College in Poughkeepsie, New York. My senior year there was the very first time they had a course that specifically focused on Latinos. It was called the Latino Experience in the United States. Um, and it was the result of students like myself and previous to myself, that had agitated for it. There had been no courses that focus on Latinos. And I still went to graduate school to University of Michigan thinking I was going to be a modern Latin Americanist because I really didn't have a concept that there was this field of U.S. Latinos, Latinx studies. And it was in graduate school where I, 
taking courses with uh, Camille Irene Gonzalez, uh, who did U.S. Uh, Latina Latino labor history, with George Sanchez, um, I, who works on uh, Latino culture and social history, that I really began to understand there's a field here, there's a group of specialists, there's a whole literature that goes back to, you know, the original, we'll call him, the original George Sanchez, who was one of the early scholars who worked on studying um, ethnic Mexicans throughout the Southwest and in Texas. Um, and there were earlier scholars uh, who had studied Puerto Ricans in Chicago, Puerto Ricans in New York, um, like uh, Vilma Santiago and, and others who had created this field for us. Um, and that was my pathway into really wanting to know the migration, the community formation process, the identity and the labor experience of Latinas, Latinos, Latinx people in the United States. What, the thing I knew for certain, and really it was second year in graduate school, is like, I don't care to learn the wage value that was extracted from the enslaved people in colonial Colombia, in colonial Cuba. I wanted to know and study the emancipation, the movement for independence, and the communities that were formed by migrating throughout the Americas. That's what I wanted to know. And ultimately, that is the experience um, of what I had. And I would add the final part to understanding what I needed to do was working with Earl Lewis, an African-American specialist who challenged us through this African diaspora and the industrial age project for me to look more at Afro-Latinos, to understand the impact of the African diaspora in Puerto Rico, in La República Dominicana, and in Cuba, as it really shaped the story of Latinos in baseball from before they played in the major leagues, when they were in the Negro Leagues, and even before that. Was, was that in grad school or undergrad also? That was in graduate school. Again, that first real experience was in... Um, Second semester senior year was when we had that class, Latino experience in the U.S. It was in graduate school. And I was also fortunate because um, Michigan had so committed itself to um, recruiting diverse groups of students. And I studied with Natalia Molina. She was in the same cohort as I. And she is now a MacArthur Fellow. You know, props to Natalia. Uh, Gina Perez, uh, who was also part of Imagining Latinidades, um, Gina came from Northwestern for a semester to Michigan and was able to meet her and her terrific work on Puerto Ricans in Chicago. And yeah, when universities commit themselves to having a truly diverse graduate cohort, you really get these synergies. And I think the second wave of scholarship that, because I really think we're in like this third wave of scholarship now in Latinx studies. That second wave, I was fortunate to be part of it because of institutions committed to recruiting significant cohorts of Latina, Latino students. Yeah. And thank you for naming a couple of people who we've had as, uh, as guests already. <laughs> um, who'd like to go next? Uh, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll talk. Um, Great. Thanks, Ed. Sure. Um, Ed Morales here. Um, so, you know, uh, I, uh, I, I've been a journalist for a while, you know, going back to the, to the mid to late eighties and, um, you know, in my journalistic practice, well, 
you know, my journalistic practice, I was sort of uh, forced into covering uh, Latino communities, which I liked. And, um, you know, New York is uh, the most uh, diverse uh, Latino area in the United States. So I had to cover um, a lot of different, uh, you know, ethnic uh, communities. And uh, also uh, I covered arts, you know, so I had an unusual um, journalistic uh, practice because most journalists, uh, I don't know, they go for a beat, they want to have a certain kind of uh, you know, either local or national uh, news projection. And um, so I was doing both uh, hard news investigative journalism, and I was also doing arts journalism. Um, and uh, because of that, you know, all the stories I heard, you know, uh, made me feel like there was something um, really common among Latin American descended people, uh, just the way they thought about things. In mixture, you know, like in, in music, particularly, uh, all the musicians would say, well, I grew up in this neighborhood and you heard uh, R&B coming out of one window and salsa coming out of the other ring window and rock music coming in, jazz. And everybody seemed to think the same way. I mean, everywhere I went, you know, um, even when I went to Mexico to write about uh, Mexican rock musicians. So, uh, you know, all of this made me feel that um, there was uh, something I had to say uh, about that, uh, that was on a, a different level from uh, journalism. And uh, I had always been, you know, I'd always been one to, you know, follow academic journals. And, and I had a lot of friends in New York, you know, because in New York, you go to the same parties all the time, and then you meet all these people, and a lot of them are in academia. And um, that's how I, uh, I got to uh, start uh, becoming a lecturer over there at uh, Columbia Center for Study of Ethnicity and Race. Um, and I just, what I did was, you know, I really got fascinated uh, with the process of doing research and uh, comparing all of these theories. I caught up really quickly with the uh, hybridity uh, versus uh, Creole, things like that. <clears throat> and um, so uh, I really grew a lot, you know, from teaching these two um, seminars at uh, Columbia. And um, that's sort of where I am. I mean, I really love uh, giving back to people, helping people find themselves. I mean, that was just a huge thing. People would come to me and say, I, I want a letter for recommendation from you because there, I don't know anybody else. I don't I'm not close to any of the other professors. And so uh, that's how I uh, play a role in that academic community that way great thank you really uh amazing to hear these journeys and also you know so many ways that we share for better and for worse right um there's a lot of common ground um for me it was really so you guys know this but so my mom is guatemalan irish from East LA and my dad is Mexican Chilango from there from the from the from Mexico City and so I was born in Mexico City but the the product of you know this kind of mixed migratory mixed kind of um, diasporic sensibility biology and when we move things didn't work out in Mexico we moved back to California um, redneck California, Central Valley, North Central Valley, right outside of Sacramento. And uh, we were teased for, you know, speaking me that dirty Mexican 
um, and more than teased, we were punished. And um, but the long and the short of it is, I found my way to comics, spent those spinner racks that were there at the um, tienda in our neighborhood, and that's I man, I I like fell in love, and it was my literacy library. It was my I wouldn't even say escape. It was my, they were my wings, you know, and these, I wasn't so into the kind of caped crusaders. I was always into the kind of the weirdos, right? The mutants, the X-Men. I loved um, Charles Xavier and, you know, the professor role that he played. Um, Ben Grimm, right? You know, the guy who just doesn't fit in. Um, So, you know, kind of super relating to those but of course you know life carries you in ways and you've realized you gotta like do you know do what you gotta do to you know get through school and go to college and all that so um, in a way I lost touch with that first love and that first literacy until I'll be honest until I became a professor (laughs) Um, I, I went back to them in college. And at that point I was reading uh, more of the indies like the Bros Hernandez and, and others, Frank Miller and stuff like that. Um, I'd always wanted to write my book as a book on Latinx comics, but you guys know this, um, in and out of the Academy that especially in 2000, when I got my first job, there's no way I was going to get tenure with a book on comics. And so I wrote, you know, I rewrote my dissertation and I snuck in a chapter on film. Um, but the rest was, you know, fairly straightforward, recognizable kind of literary stuff. Right. And um, once I was a full professor in 2005, I, um, I'm i like, OK, now I get to do what I've always wanted to do. And that's when I started publishing pretty like, you know, uh, on all the things that I love, TV, film, comic books, you know, all that good stuff. And I think like um, Adrian and and Ed as well, like there was a real, I was impassioned to feel, to feel the sort of almost, well, we know deliberate erasure of the histories and presence of our culture in all its complexity. And for me, what was going on was actual comic book creators, living, breathing Latinx, Chicanx comics creators, especially in the Southwest and LA, New York City, um, some in Florida, that were my age, younger, or a little bit older, that were doing that stuff, right? And this was um, really before internet became this new platform to be able to get the word out. So my first book, Your Brain on Latinx Comics, the you know I have the theory stuff and I do all that work, and then the latter section is all about like you know interviewing and and bringing their kind of in, you know work and their experience and their expertise and knowledge to the world. So I think of it maybe in the same way, Adrian, the way you do with you know baseball figures as a as our living, breathing archive, right? That's like right there doing all this incredible work. And I wanted to kind of jump in there. So what can I say? You know, I've um, f- full professor freed me of the certain kinds of constraints that I 
had kind of going in as a junior faculty, finally able to do the kinds of things in Latinx pop culture that I love to do. And that's where my heart is. And that's where I feel like I'm able to to make change. Yeah, I just wanted to jump back in because something that uh, Fred mentioned is so palpably true. And what I mean by that is our subjects taught us our methods. And what I mean by that is the people we spoke to the people we interviewed, um, they showed us that how important oral history is and oral traditions are, but that in many cases, their stories had not been fully documented outside of their own orality, outside of their own ability to share that story. Um, I'll be, try to be very brief. Um, I interviewed this guy in Co-op City, Charlie Rivera, who's a Negro League player, and he told me with the just joy in his eyes that you can just see it. I caught Satchel Paige in Puerto Rico in 1938. And I, baseball fan, historian, I'm like telling myself, I didn't tell Charlie this. I was like, man, you're a second baseman. What are you talking about? You caught Satchel Paige. So jump ahead. I'm in Puerto Rico doing research. I'm interviewing a collector who um, says, I want, I just, do you want to see what I just purchased? The 1938 score book for the Guayama baseball team. And I was like, absolutely, yes. I would love to see it. Open it up to the very first game that Guayama played. And in the scorebook, there's Rivera, too. Meaning that Charlie Rivera, who normally played second base for that game, was indeed the catcher to Satchel Page, And it just reminds me again, I, I really love sharing this story, because in so many instances, because the question had not been asked, the individual had not been approached to speak on their experience, the story of Latinx subjectivities, past, is, is there to be told, but hasn't been approached. And yeah, so our, our, met, our subjects have told us the method through which we can get to our stories. That's so true. Uh, <laughs> I wish I wish this was a video podcast. We're all just sitting here, just nodding heavily at this. Um, yeah, I mean that's the, that 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 resonates so strongly with my experience with the with. I, I don't usually talk about my own work on this podcast, <laughs> um, especially when when I have guests, but my own work with the Young Lords, right? Which you know, when I started doing the you know, research on the Young Lords, there's so little scholarship on the Young Lords in the early 2000s. I mean, there were like a couple of articles and book chapters, usually reproducing the exact same you know two page history of the Young Lords, um, and that was you know, and that was basically it. Um, and so you know, it wasn't it wasn't until I you know, once I started interviewing members, especially cadre, right, and people who move from cadre into leadership, um, uh, that's when I started to get a better sense, not only of who the young lords were, but of what kinds of questions I should have been asking all along, <laughs> right? And and in some ways, that that you know, for me, that even took a little bit of time to kind of like set in, right? Like. Like I've got my dissertation, which you know, in some ways, is a piece of trash. Um, <laughs> that I'm happy it got, you know, I, that it, it it was it was good enough to get me my PhD. But in some ways, my dissertation still asks all the wrong questions, right? It's not until you know I had some time to kind of sit on all of that and to go back and re-interview people and to get access to different kinds of 
of archival materials, that then everything started to kind of like make sense and fit together in a different sort of way. And in a way, in my case, that was no longer being governed by what I'd call essentially kind of Eurocentric logics, right? Um, now I'll shut up, but... <laughs> Anyway, if anyone wants to jump back in on, on that, I mean, it, you've kind of transitioned me into well, my, you know, my, my next question. So, well, Daryl, let me um, let me follow really quick, which I think might segue kind of hand a, a, the baton back over to Ed. I was on a I was doing a, a podcast earlier today with a young uh, uh, Tejana journalist um, podcaster, Kate Sanchez, and I loved uh, but I mean, Ed, you know this. It's like, wow, we we really got to keep on our toes because these the youngsters are coming right up there and they're like, you know, um, and uh, she told me that the, the first time she was invited to South by Southwest as a as a Latina journalist, she was really excited because she was the only Latina assigned to the kind of like uh, actors and directors of color all the rest were like white dudes and they were asking questions about like what pizza you know <laughs> did you eat and stuff and she's like right there and she's like actually no i'm interested in like you know and this was in uh, in relation to the film la llorona like what's your relationship to this story that we've all heard as kids and or did you hear it as a kid and things like that and so it does matter right ed that you are there and ask because you're asking the right questions yeah um i think people open up to you a little more when um you know they feel like they have a connection with you you know on a certain level and um i certainly felt that uh with a lot of uh the uh, musicians that um, I I interviewed, and also about their you know their process, you know, and uh, you know what what their influences were it was uh, it was it was uh, it was easy. But you know, but at the same time, like when I interviewed um, what's his name uh, Alfonso uh, Cuaron, um, and I told him, man, you know, like that uh, beginning of uh, of. Uh, what is that famous movie they did uh, with uh, the Spanish actress, uh, the on uh, the road trip? Yeah, um, I said, también. yeah, yeah. I said, you know, that's uh, very, uh, that's very much like uh, Jean Luc Godard, and he got really angry with me that I, I figured it out. Mm. So, um, you know, it's, mm, yeah. uh, but that's cool too. Is that uh, a lot of? Uh, well, I, I don't know if you want to call Alfonso Cuarón uh, a Latino, but. Uh, you know, Latinos also have a lot of influences from uh, the mm -hmm. mainstream culture or avant-garde culture that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's cool to uh, vibe with them on that as well. Mm -hmm. or, 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 you know, some, some uh, jazz musician that, uh, you know, they grew up listening to Frank Zappa, you know, and nobody uh, has got that out of them or something like that. But That's um, true. no, certainly, um, you know... Uh, Certainly, uh, you know, I mean, uh, just being from New York, uh, a lot of the musicians, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of things in common to, to talk about. Yeah. That's great. Um, yeah, I want to, I want to kind of pivot us a little bit now. Uh, we've been talking about kind of, uh, our own relationship to, uh, to, to this topic. Um, you know, I started with the, the origin stories question and I've been talking about kind of how our own work is influenced by our connection to um to the to the subject matter and the questions that it uh that it 
that it implores us to ask. Um, I want to pivot to to thinking about the and talking about the the kind of value of Latinx studies for our listeners, for those associated with our listeners. Um, and the question I want to start with is, why is Latina, Latino, Latinx studies valuable to you know undergraduates, to higher education institutions, to communities? Like, why is it valuable to these different audiences besides just those of us who are doing work in, uh, you know, the kind of centrally within Latinx studies? Daryl, can I can I launch this one? Sure. So let me let me. Can we interrogate even that? So, yeah. what's the what's why why valuable? Okay, so I think you know, Daryl, and I know you'll agree. Like that's already putting us in a deficit kind of like position, right? Sure. Um, you know, like we've been proving this now forever, like since we were born, and even before that. Um, and maybe this also speaks to Ed's comment, which is. We do we do this work and we teach and we even, you know, I write kids books and I'm finishing my animation movie and I made a documentary on Latinx superheroes and all these other ways that, you know, I try to add, add, right, uh, cultural sort of uh, and knowledge to the world kind of based on things that I'm excited and impassioned by. Add so additive. I think maybe we should be thinking about how we expand the periodic table of knowledge as additive, and we remove why valuable. So let's talk about that. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I think I, I think we I think I've I've used the word valuable in framing this in terms of thinking about in part thinking about the fact that you know. Well, at, at Iowa, right when we were when we were doing this, we were just building our Latinx studies program, right, and trying to make the case to administrators about the importance of Latinx studies. Um, but I like this idea of 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 additive, like how how we have. I mean, I, I and obviously I agree with you. We have been adding to <laughs> to knowledge uh, production for a while. How is it this? So, so, and 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 it's actually you know it's kind of interesting. This this group right here, right? You three are in some ways a kind of a kind of unique case uh, because all of you teach, but also all of you do do some centrally like publicly facing work as well, and have for a while, right? Um, and that might be i mean we've we've had other people as part of imagining latinidades who who have feet in both of those worlds but it's it's really been pretty like pretty central to 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 your to all of your worlds and so that that does make this question a little bit a little bit tougher too um because you're already speaking to various communities right beyond academia in the work that that you do and have been for quite some time um so maybe a different way of phrasing of, of, of phrasing the question is, how do we get um, you know in places where these questions are still being asked, right, and the value is still being questioned, or where the ways in which we've added centrally to knowledge to life for our communities, right, isn't understood, isn't visible um, to those who who pay for the teaching that we do, for example. Um, 
how do we get them to better understand? How do we get more? How do we get more students in? Uh, you know, to sign up for the majors and minors. How? I mean, because like from my perspective, everyone should have coursework in Latinx studies, like in this. You know, especially in twenty twenty one, right? Um, but you know, but that's just not the case most places, right? Adrian, you've been trying to get in here, and I keep talking. Well, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I think is so important about studying and taking Latinx studies courses is really understanding the 21st century realities that have been present for 21 years now, if not longer. Um, so one of the things that I was recalling is when we think about you know value, the housing boom that happened in the late ni- um, 1990s, early 20th, 20s, 20-aughts, um, so much of that housing boom was dependent on Latino Latina labor, um, where it was often ethnic Mexicans who were the roofers, who were drywallers, who literally were subbed out, that is subcontracted to come in at a lower rate and allowed for this huge explosion of real estate values accumulating. And yes, a lot of it, there was shady financing going on on the other side of that. But literally, how do we understand and make visible the contributions of Latino lives, of Latino labor, of Latino creativity? Um, and that is, I think, part of the core mission of Latinx studies. Um, it's also very important for universities to value this when nearly 20% of the population in the United States that is counted, much less those who are not counted in census, are of Latinos, ethnic, Latin American backgrounds in the United States itself. How do we account for how they arrived and their experiences and how it has altered throughout the history of the United States, the economy of the United States, the culture of the United States. You can't have Ricky, excuse me, you can't have rock and roll without Richie Valens, you know? And you can't have jazz as we know it without the Cuban influence in New Orleans that was the intersection of Dizzy Gillespie and Guanos. And you can't have that New York jazz scene without Puerto Ricanos and Cubanos, Dominicanos and African-Americans come together to jam out. And the story of baseball, my own research, is you don't understand baseball's color line, the way that racial exclusion worked fully till you actually study how they included some Latinos and kept the majority out. They kept all African-Americans out. That was the hard line, but that and ambiguous line, that's where Latinos came in. And that's where those in power said, oh, he's not black, he's Cuban. Don't, don't mind bothering with what your eyes see you. Listen to me as the authority. He's Cuban, he's okay. He's in because he can really hit, but he's okay. You know? And that is, I think, the, the, the substance of a lot of the rich scholarship that comes out of Latinx studies is unpacking these hidden stories that are rendered invisible too often by the mainstream narrative of America and bringing back America. Uh, I guess what I would say is um, 
you know, first of all, I, you know, it's uh, Latinx studies is interdisciplinary. You know, that's my favorite thing about it with me. You know, I assign stuff from uh, all different kinds of disciplines and um, it's it's a way to, to a stealth way to do interdisciplinary uh, education um, with students. Um, and, you know, in uh, in Columbia, I get a lot of uh, people from engineering and psychology and education. Um, and they're not always, uh, Latinx. Um, sometimes there are other people of color who are curious. Sometimes they're, um, um, Anglo-Americans or whatever you want to call that group. And, um, they, you know, uh, they, they get a lot out of, uh, you know, moving between, uh, politics and sociology and, um, the other kinds of things that, and, and economics, you know, things that I assign. But uh, in in terms of the human stuff too, I mean, I think it's so important. I know this is a uh, maybe uh, overemphasized, but the um, so many students uh, get connected to uh, the whole, you know, everything that's going on in university level through Latino studies. You know, a lot of students that maybe wouldn't get turned on, you know, and then they'll they'll start reading. You know, if I'm if I'm going to talk about um, uh, Foucault or or uh, you know or theories of evolution, you know, I mean, then they're going to want to get into that. You know, even though it has nothing to do with um, Latinx studies, maybe. Uh, so um, all of those things are really important, and also you know, social justice careers. You know, I've I've taught at John Jay College of Criminal Justice as well, and there's a lot of people who want to become police uh, people and uh, lawyers and um, you know, it, it gives them a lot of ammunition, um, to, to do their work, you know, uh, for a more just society. So, um, all of those things are really important to me, um, in my teaching experience. Yeah. Um, if I could show, throw in a couple of words here too, um, no matter the demographic of our classroom, cause I'm going to be now going from a PWI to an on the cusp HSI right space right Daryl I'm sure really close talking. yeah yeah we're like um, we're the same at A and M it's like twenty four percent and twenty five percent is the cutoff right yeah and I don't know Adrian and and Ed what what your typical kind of demographic is in in front of you but th- it doesn't matter um, um, in the sense in this sort of more general maybe foundational sense which is that we all know that. Our K through 12 education system is is moribund. It's not only that it's like, well, for the most part, kind of willfully selective of the kinds of histories and cultures that are uh, that our our kids learn to learn and then hopefully learn to uh, interface with intellectually and critically, but it's when we get them in college, 99%, and it doesn't matter where they're coming from, what, you know, what their background is, have had a very impartial, very imperfect understanding of all of the incredible things that go into this country that we are today. And so, yeah, I mean, put those brakes on and... Let's take a deep breath and let's open the space. And like Ed and Adrian were saying, I mean, Latinx studies courses, interdisciplinary, so we can hit a bunch of different, you know, we can bring all these different um, methodologies to the same, say, puzzle that we're trying to like help them understand and for us to understand. 
Um, but also, like, how many times can we count, or maybe we can't even count anymore, when students have been like, I had no idea. Really basic stuff. Dolores, you know, Dolores Huerta, or even Cesar Chavez, or, you know, the young lords, my goodness, right? Um, you know, and here, how is this even possible? So, yeah, we, we, and you know, in the end, you know what I noticed, like people, like they, their, their ears and their eyes spark when I mentioned this. What do we do? What Google, Apple, all those places, they are held up as these incubators of innovation and change and radical new thinking. It's like, yeah, and guess what? You know, from what I can tell, they go out of their way to bring, you know, all different kinds of thinkers. Now, I don't know about the racial and gender sort of makeup here, but all different kinds of thinkers into these rooms to problem solve. Well, you know, why? Because you have too many of the same kinds of people around a table and you're just going to be like getting the same results. Well, our classrooms are incubators of innovation and change. That's awesome. Wait, uh, you know, speaking of, of uh, what happens kind of in, in uh, K through 12 education, wait till you see the kind of, and I'm sure you've seen this from afar, but wait till you see it locally, the kind of power that the, uh, that the that the kind of education commission wields over textbooks here in Texas, <laughs> um, it's it's a it's amazing. I, I lived in Texas the la- when there was when when one big revision was going through, and I think that was when they, um, I think that was when they took Cesar Chavez basically out of the history books. Um, that might have also been when they uh, when they when they tried to like re- like make slavery a little you know more cheery uh, the triangle trade they started calling it the triangle trade yeah so <laughs> you, you'll have you'll have texas to thank for uh to, for for that but it's it, it is it is it is wild you know from 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 my perspective too you know here, uh, moving back to texas this is a state where 50% of um of graduating public school classes, right? High school classes, 50% are Latinx. Uh, but, you know, that is not, right, the make, close to the makeup that comes to the, the, that's admitted to the universities, right? And there's lots of reasons for that. But that's part of why, right, Latinx studies is, is so important, right, in a place like Texas. Some people think, well, you don't need that in Texas. Texas, you know, there's all these Latinos in Texas. This is like an argument for not doing Latino studies in a place like this. And it's like, well, this is this is kind of an argument that for for the necessity of it, right? To understand that the the kind of deep history, fraught history here, um, to understand the the popular cultural influences, um, all of that. Like, you, it's not like you're just born into understanding that. I mean, some some people get that education at home, sure, um, but like that's actively discouraged, right, by educational structures. Um, and you know, and a lot of work, <coughs> excuse me, a lot of work has to be done to recover that, to uh, to encourage deeper understanding of it, um, and 
one place that happens is in is in Latinx studies classrooms, but then it also gets to happen right in other in maybe more disciplinary settings where we still teach our other classes. Like I don't know about uh, I don't know about 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 the, your your new gig at, at UT, but here at AM, like I'm still a, I'm a communication I'm in a communication department, right? I'm core faculty, quote unquote, in in Latino studies, but it's a program, and there's no percentage of my line there, and so like. I work it into all of my classes, right? I work it into my rhetorical theory class um, because I because I need to, and I, I think my students need to. Absolutely, and again, I think the irony of Latina Latinx Latino studies not being taught as kind of on the level of departments or as central to to the curriculums in many places is that. Most individuals, when they do end up taking our classes, are not aware of the history, the stories, the power of of the contributions that Latinos have made. It's it's per, it's purposely been hidden from them, um, and it really does change how we think about the story of America, the story of Texas. You know, the Alamo when. Well, a controversy that happened in, in soccer was uh, they wanted to name the original uh, MLS team in Houston, the Houston 1846ers. Hmm. And the many you know ethnic Mexicans and Tejanos were like, no, 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 no. We don't want that. Other uh, people didn't understand. Why was that so offensive? And it's like, well, you know, this is when white settler colonials came in and overtook the lands of Tejanos. And that's what you want to celebrate. And the majority of the fans who are going to come out to support the Houston team are actually going to be Mexicanos or Tejanos, you know, ethnic Mexicans. And so that there's this incongruity when you don't have the history told and you don't have uh, an aspect of the, you know, this is the making of the culture. It's all of that. It's the food we eat. It's the sounds we hear. It surrounds us. It's the, the buildings that are around us, the remains of those, that the legacy of the impact that Latinos have had is there if you allow it to be taught. Yeah, absolutely. We, we are running out of time, but I've got one more question that we that that we ask everyone when they come through for the roundtable, and I think it's a really important question. And so, uh, even if it's a quick answer, I'd love your answer to it. The, this final question is: What message do you have for the Latina, Latino, Latinx listener who is maybe a student at a PWI? Um, or about to be a student at a PWI, uh, who feels like they don't belong. What's your like bit of advice? What's your remark to that person? In a nutshell, you're the problem. I'm not. That's it. Because they are going to be like called out as like the problem, no matter what. They're going to be the ones that are going to be, well, how about you, Federico? What is the Latinx experience? Can you explain that to our entire class of white kids? <laughs> and you're like, um, that's your job, not mine. Thank you. Yeah. 
I, I would just say that, uh, you know, you're probably on the right side of uh, history and that, you know, <clears throat> as, as we go forward, there's going to be more and more understanding of who we are, where we came from. And we have a lot of incredible history and, um, you know, there's so much to build from that uh, culture and knowledge that uh, we draw from, from the mixture of uh, African, indigenous and um, Hispanic uh, <clears throat> history. I just recall conversations I've had, actual conversations with, with students at the at University of Illinois and supporting them and understanding, you are correct. This university was not made for us. It was not made with us in mind. It was not constructed with us. We are changing this place. We are the change. So, you know, as, as uh, Federico said, we're not the problem. We're the change that's coming, that is, that is to be, you know. And so, you know, don't take it that there's something intrinsically wrong with you as an individual, as a person. You represent the change that people need to understand and embrace. And, you know, these institutions can only change through our presence. Yes, it's work. And, but this is what our, Abuelitas, our grandfathers, this is what our parents worked so hard to create a context for us to change these spaces. You know, my, my father had an, a middle school education until he got his GED, but he built the first computer that we ever had in our house. That the measure of intelligence is not the degrees that we have, it is the work that we do and the change that we create. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you all so much for, for, for joining, uh, for joining with me this week. It really, it really has been a kind of highlight week for me. It's been great to get back into imagining Latinidade stuff. And it's been a really, a, a truly a pleasure to do it with you. Um, in terms of, uh, what's coming up next for imagining Latinidades, um, there might be one more, uh, one more episode before our kind of, uh, final conference. Still working on the details of that, but, uh, please do mark your calendars for, uh, March 26th and 27th. It's a Friday and Saturday. Uh, more information will continue going out, uh, about that, but that will be our closing, uh, conference on Latina, Latino, Latinx futurity. Um, there'll be seven speakers, um, live streamed, uh, through, I believe, like a Zoom webinar type thing, uh, and uh, and look forward to, to having uh, to having people attending that. Um, all that said, you know, like always, love to hear your thoughts uh, on Twitter. We're at Imagining Lat for the podcast, uh, and you can feel free to email us uh, at podcast at imaginingletinidades.com. Uh, please share this podcast with folks uh, and and give us those high ratings because it helps uh, it helps with the podcast and and most importantly just thank you for listening thanks um, you know thanks for being a part of this uh, check the show notes uh, it, uh, for for a little bit more information on uh, on our guests and that's it take care y'all thanks for being a part and thank you all again all all of my guests for being a part of this uh, today thank you. thank you thanks for having me. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you, all of you. Take care, everyone. Okay. Bye-bye.